the brokerage world are, is under suitability rules as long as it's suitable, which means, hey, if it sounds good, it looks good, it could be a good fit, yeah, it's good enough. <laughs> that's, that's how I kind of look at suitability. But on the fiduciary side, we actually have to go through certain steps and process and documentation to make sure that this is actually appropriate fit for you. It's time for the Retirement Reality Podcast with the founder of Principal Preservation Services, Mike Koyanen. Welcome back into the Retirement Reality Podcast. I am Ben George. He's Mike Koyanen, founder and owner at Principal Preservation Services. You can find them online at principalpreservationservices.com. You'll also see them on WCCO TV from time to time. And he's also co-authored a book, Mama's Secret Recipe for Retirement Success. Today, our plan on the show is to talk about what drives someone like Mike Coyne and crazy. What drives your financial advisor crazy? We're going to flip the script a little bit and find out, hmm. you know, what bothers them about the financial world and some things they've encountered that are maybe annoying or frustrating. So a little spin on things today, Mike. How are you? Yeah, I'm doing awesome. I'm excited for 2021 again. I have a positive outlook for this year. It'll be a little bit different than last year. <laughs> no question. And, and part of the positive outlook, I think, for a lot of people is the news of the coronavirus vaccine. It's, you know, it came out in December. It's starting to make its way around the country. You know, healthcare workers, frontline workers are already getting the vaccine. Uh, what are your thoughts on it? I mean, is this, I, I'm assuming this is positive news for 2021 in terms of the market and the economy. Yeah, I think especially the value sector of the S&P 500, the value sector of the market is going to be impacted. So, you know, a lot of those, you know, those value stocks and a lot of those dividend paying stocks have been affected. So, you know, what we saw in 2020 was the growth sector responded really well uh, in recovery period, but the value sector didn't, you know, we're talking about the oil stocks out there and we're looking at the travel industries as, you know, Carnival and Delta and all the airlines as well. But as soon as... Um, when they had good news come out that Pfizer's got, had that vaccine in 2020, if you remember a couple of days, the market just really shot up really well on that value sector. So uh, we really think it's going to help a lot for just uh, investors' confidence. And so we're going to see those, I think, see a good recovery in that sector of the S&P. Well, I think we're all expecting and hoping for a much better 2021. So hopefully we're off yeah. to a good start and hopefully you're off to a good start. And if you haven't, uh, really got into your planning or maybe you're thinking about it, uh, make sure you, you visit the website, principalpreservationservices.com. If you want to learn more about Mike and his team, uh, there's plenty of resources up there. He's got webinars online as well that you can can watch and, and benefit from. But if you want to call him and set up a time to sit down and actually start you know, building your plan or tweaking your plan, adjusting your plan, you can do so at 855-987-8888. So let's get into today's topic. Uh, what drives your financial advisor crazy? And look, no industry is without its flaws and the financial industry is no exception. So we're going to explore some of those times where we've encountered annoying or frustrating elements of the financial world. And let's kick it off with hidden fees, Mike. What bothers mm. you about hidden fees? Yeah, well, there's a lot of things. So we can talk about a lot of different investment products out there. Um, let's just kind of look at, you know, these A funds, mutual funds. So, um, you know, there's a term out there, it's called a 12B1 fee. Um, and that's a, a kind of a trailer commission that goes to the advisor continuously as long as you have that investment. They get this trailer commission for selling you something five, ten years ago. They still get paid on that. Also, you know, a C fund mutual fund. These are also investments that we don't offer our clients. But a C fund is typically, 
you know, a, a 1% trailer fee that goes to the advisor for, again, as long as you have that investment open, they're getting paid like this 1% extra fee for really doing what? Sold you investment, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, and they still get paid on that. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of ridiculous. We can even get into the variable annuity world. And uh, we, we talk about variable annuities and uh, we see a lot of people have, you know, they see on their statement, they get one fee um, that shows up on their statement, but there's really usually three or four fees because you have to actually read the contract to find out what the fees are. So, so yeah, when you started asking the advisors, and it's interesting when the clients ask the advisors, you know, what my fees are, and they only tell them part of it, and then you have to open up the contract. So, well, what about the mortality and expense fee? What about the sub-account fee? What about the rider fee? What about the death benefit fee, the admin fee, the annual fee? And so they all add up. <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's, again, the difference between work broker world as a fiduciary world. The broker world, they, they don't have to be full disclosure on fees um, on your statements, I should say, because um, as a fiduciary, we have to list all of our fees to our clients on their statements. Well, you know, you talk about fiduciaries and it kind of takes us to our next uh, our next thing that drives financial advisors crazy. Uh, the work in your world, uh, especially, is those advisors that put their own goals ahead of their clients. And I mm -hmm. guess a lot of this is maybe brokers and such, but um, how often do you see this? All the time. Um, you know, we see, you know, clients have, I should say cookie cutter type, which kind of gets to the next one too, cookie cutter investments. But, you know, certain brokerage firms sell the same type of, of you know, funds. And whether you're 25 or 65, we see this, the people with that certain industry or certain uh, brokerage firm have the same, you know, investments. And so they're just pushing certain ones. Are they really doing planning or are they just in the business of just offering the certain funds? So, and I think that's a misconception. People out there think that all advisors have to put the client's best interest first, but really there's some d different guidelines. And uh, the brokerage world are, is under suitability rules as long as it's suitable, which means, hey, if it sounds good, it looks good, it could be a good fit. Um, yeah, it's good enough. <laughs> that's, that's how I kind of look at suitability. But on the fiduciary side, we actually have to go through certain steps and process and documentation uh, to make sure that this is actually appropriate fit for you. So, um, and a lot of the investments, uh, you know, getting back to that, you know, putting their own goals is a lot of the investments on the brokerage world, they just, you know, they get these, these upfront commissions and, or trailer commissions. And, uh, that's one thing that, you know, as on principal wealth services, our, our wealth division of our company, we're just our flat fee, whether you're in one investment or the other investment or the other one or Z or A or X, Y, Z, doesn't matter. We get paid the same. So we don't have an incentive to sell one one investment over the other like the brokerage world does. Well, you kind of touched on it a little bit, but that uh, the next one on our list was that cookie cutter, one size fits all sales pitch. And, you know, I guess maybe explain kind of what that process looks like for you, Mike, because I know when people come into your office, and we've talked about it quite a bit, it's not a one size fits all. You actually customize it and work with someone. Um, but I mean, even how often do people even realize they're getting a one size fits all sales pitch? Well, I, I think what I could relate to this one is actually we just had a client come into our office on, fr I think it was Thursday or Friday last week. I didn't meet with him personally, but Casey had to call me up afterwards and, and let me know how it went. But here's a gentleman. It was real standoffish at the first part of the meeting. Um, he came in for, he came to one of our social security events and he was getting that social security report and, and uh, we're not pushing anything. We're just here to, to answer questions and, and give them that information and educate them. And that's, 
And what he said, you know, he was asking a lot of questions and during the meeting is what Casey told me. And then afterwards he said, can I just share some information with you? Casey's like, oh no, I th- he thought he was going to get hammered with some, you know, some criticism. But he actually said, man, he goes, I had a really bad I've had some really bad experiences with financial advisors, and I thought they were all the same. But you really changed my uh, my attitude and my thinking on what a, a right financial advisor is. We're excited to to move this process. Not once did you try to push investments on us, and never once did you try to steer us one way or the other. You're here just answering questions, and just with with nothing. Because you you didn't make anything doing this meeting. Your whole goal was to service me, and I, I appreciate that. So getting back to that is. You know, we're we're not pitching anything. We're about educating. You can't make any proper decisions with retirement without having the proper education and and basic knowledge. And that's what we we walk our clients through the steps with. And uh, that's why we usually have three to five meetings before anybody decides they want to work with us. It's not, we have to get to know them. We have to understand their risk tolerance. We have to understand what social security is, their expenses are, uh, their goals are. There's so many factors that come into play with that where uh, a lot of other places they said, oh, you got this money, let's move it here, without knowing anything about them. And that's a big difference between uh, the brokerage world and, and our world. Let's talk about another big difference, too, as we go through this list. And you know, that's those big companies that you'll find that uh, some people might just kind of lean towards working, working with because of their brand or the, the big name they have. But you know, mm-hmm. these big companies who try to push products uh, specifically on people uh, when they're building a plan. Yeah, we see that as well. And um, certain companies are, you know, if you heard of, you know, non-traded REITs, um, R, you know, R-E-I-T-S, um, Real Estate Investment Trust, not a big fan of those. What I don't like about those are, you know, they're big commissions to the people who sell them, but they're illiquid for a period of time and even longer sometimes because if those investments can't uh, be sold, <laughs> Um, because they're tied up in some real estate. If those that real estate market takes a hit, like it did last year, we find that a lot of these REITs weren't able to get sold, and people's their money's tied up. They can't even get take any money out. Uh, sometimes, sometimes you can get some money out, partial. Sometimes you can't get anything. I have a client uh, that was sold a, a REIT you know, how many years ago? Seven, eight years ago, and um, he was supposed to get his money two years ago, and they told him last year that he'd get it sometime this year and then because the real estate commercial market took a hit this year because of coronavirus or 2020 uh it got delayed again so he's still Mm. kind of out of the water on that one but um yeah with the reeds and with variable annuities um another big thing that a lot of companies that's all they push you know as we're in the process of hiring another advisor and one of the advisors i actually interviewed was with one of these big companies and he goes that's all we we're told to sell was you know universal life, you know, insurance and variable annuities. That's all they felt like they were told. They weren't doing any planning at all, and he was fed up with it. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, that's what can happen when you work with the bigger companies uh, from time to time. Um, Here's another one that I I think uh, probably drives you pretty crazy. When other advisors and people in the financial industry use these buzzwords and jargon that just doesn't mean anything to the average person that's listening to them. Yeah, you know, that's a th- I think just the whole uh, concept of using these terms is just not really uh, <laughs> addressing the real situation. You know, I-, I think it's important when you're talking to the clients to speak their language. You know, we're in this industry all day long. Uh, we might have some, um, some things that we say in the office, but not to the clients. We want to make sure that they fully understand what's going on and, 
And just to, to speak in generalities or, you know, we hear these words like, oh, why would you, why would you make any changes to your plan when you, you're properly diversified already? And like, oh, I am properly diversified. Huh? Uh, so when people come into our office, they go, well, my advisor said I shouldn't make any changes because I'm properly diversified. And I go, show me how you're properly diversified. You have 98% of your money in the market. And they go, well, he said I was diversified. I go, <laughs> then go back to your advisor and tell them that, show you a properly diversified portfolio like you have that didn't lose in 2008 or even didn't lose in the coronavirus bubble. Well, they can't show them that. So I think there's a lot of misconception when people speak this, this jargon, these terms and these phrases, it gives people a false sense of security. And that's exactly what I think a lot of people are. So, well, I'm properly diversified. I, you know, there's no point of changing. Or I'm in a 60-40 portfolio. I go, okay, well, is that going to do well here as as interest rates go up, as we have to pay the price for all the stimulus packages and what went on even last year? So interest rates will go up and bond values will go down. Do you really want to have 40 or 50% of your money in bonds? Is that really what you want to do? So because we know the history of where bonds have gone or interest rates have gone over the last few decades, and they have to go the opposite way now. So I think it's important just to speak to the language where the clients understand and not these buzzwords. I'm not a fan of it. I think it's just a good way to redirect the meeting and have control over the meeting over the clients, unfortunately. Well, the last one's kind of along those same lines of uh, kind of muckying up the waters a little bit. But you know, those financial plans that, p- that the other advisors will build, that consists of just you know, dozens and dozens of pages that either the uh, the client doesn't really understand completely, doesn't really have a full grasp of, or they're just kind of filler at times. Yeah, and I think that's exactly a filler. I think we we can um, the more the more paperwork or printouts you can give them, maybe if they feel like uh, the more work they've done, and whether they just hit a button and put some information and in, some basic information, it prints you know twenty five thirty pages, and if you know what they know. They know they're not going to read these pages, uh, or do they think they're even going to fully understand what's on these pages if they're not gone through? We do financial plans for for clients, but again, I think I, I shared this stat last time with Ben was I think only 23% of retirees actually have a financial plan. Um, less than a quarter of the retirees have, have a, a, a plan in place. And so... I don't think a lot of advisors are actually doing plans. We see hypothetical situations. Uh, typically, we see, uh, as we talk about certain products, they'll sh- do printouts of illustrations of certain products or or a history of the prospectus of a certain investment. But we don't see a lot of plans out there. And the few ones that we do see, they're, they're using re- unrealistic rates of returns to make it look good. <laughs> and the, a lot of times these financial plans aren't even adjusted with inflation and true expenses. And they ha- the advisors haven't spent the time to get down to the expenses of what exactly are it, are your expenses. You know, we sit down and find out what's your cable bill, you know, wh- what's your internet, what's your cell phone, you know, what's your water bill, what's your garbage bill. We get all that detailed information and we're gonna make sure that's adjusted with inflation. Most of these advisors just throw in a number. They don't even get to know the client, throw in a basic number and uh, never factor it with inflation. Well, if you need six grand today for monthly expense, um, you're going to need a lot more than six grand here in five and 10 years, uh, but they don't adjust those. So these, these financial plans, typically what we have seen, very few uh, that people have brought, showed from their other advisors are weak at best and confusing for most. 
right confusing for sure it kind of reminds me of like the uh you know when when the when congress passes uh you know the bill to the stimulus package and there's you know f- over five thousand pages in it <laughs> it's like you know how much is buried in there that you're not even aware of you know it's like that when you build these financial plans that are yeah just so long. exactly they're uh, voting on things they have no idea what's in there and same thing with the clients they're, they're saying yes to something that they don't understand what's in what's in the fine print exactly well these are just a few of the things that drive your financial advisor crazy and it's why you work with someone like uh, mike and his team at principal preservation services who will work with you directly uh, not try to push products on you build a plan that's customized to you and your needs and and whatever you need to get to retirement they'll help you get there uh, and they'll build an approach that works for you you can find them online principalpreservationservices.com along with webinars other resources as well and you can call them directly at 855-987- 8888. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. We're going to take a mailbag question here before we close out the show. Let's take it from Ellen. She says, we have the opportunity to refinance our house at a lower interest rate, but the problem is that it would be a 15-year mortgage and we only have five years left to pay now. We're 60 years old and the idea of still having a house payment until we're 75 seems like a bad idea. What do you think? Uh, I agree. I, I believe that's a bad idea. Um, <laughs> I think it'd be awesome to have your house paid off by 65. You also have to remember, Ellen, right now that your mortgage, you're in the last five years of your mortgage, and I'm not sure if you had a, a 30 year. Now you, you pay 25 of the 30, which means that last five years, almost almost all of the, 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 uh, the payment that you make goes towards principal. So by stretching it out over 15, you're going to be um, the first seven and a half years of that 15, if you did that, most of the payment goes towards interest. And then it flips uh, in the second half of that 15-year mortgage. So I'm not a fan of that, having a mortgage that long. Yeah, it might save you some monthly payments, uh, but overall, I think you're losing. I think what you can do by having your house paid off in five years and having that extra cash flow for retirement or whether that's future investments, you'll, you'll, uh, you'll appreciate that. Um, at that time. Now, it's one thing if you had 10 to 15 years left um, on your mortgage, and maybe that might might make sense at that point. But being that you're so close, I would not advise that at all. Well, thanks for that question, Ellen. We appreciate it. If you ever have a question on your mind, send it in to us, principalpreservationservices.com. You'll see the contact us link at the top of the page. Send it in to us, and we'll bring it to the show and do our best to answer it for you. Here. That'll do it for this episode of the Retirement Reality Podcast. Hopefully, we didn't drive you crazy today, Mike. Uh, just some of the <laughs> things we mentioned, but I uh, appreciate the time as always. Uh, you're welcome, Ben. We'll talk to you soon. Information is for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute tax, investment, or legal advice. Always consult with a qualified investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action.